Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners once again today, and uh, we're so thankful to have this opportunity. It is a blessing for us here at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ to be able to be with you each day on Search the Scriptures. And we pray that you feel the same way, that it's a blessing for you to be able to be here with us and for us to be able to be here with you. What we try to do is help you understand God's Word better. The name, Search the Scriptures, is exactly what we try to do on this program. We don't come together, and if you're listening for the first time, I want to emphasize this. We don't come together in this program to talk about the Bible primarily. We come together in this program to study the Bible primarily. We want to help you learn God's Word more fully and more correctly, accurately. We look at it in depth and in detail, and in doing so, we try to explain it in a way that is easy to understand and that makes sense for your everyday life. We want to help you get a sense of the excitement of learning how deep and how rich God has communicated his word, the messages, his truths, and his will to us in the scriptures. We want to help you to come closer to God. And the best way that we can do that is to teach you his word. We keep saying in the program that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, or faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. A lot of people think that faith kind of just happens, or maybe it kind of falls on them, or maybe it's a gift from God. Well, if it's a gift from God, and we're dependent upon God to give it to us, then the next logical question that should come to our mind would be, well, why doesn't he give it to everybody? Because there are a lot of people out there who don't have faith. Well, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So faith develops within us as we learn God's word, as we study it, as we come to understand it, and as we come to believe it, and especially make the proper applications to our lives. That's real faith. That's faith as taught in the New Testament. And so if we want to help you, or if we want to help anybody come to God, we need to teach you God's Word. That's the way, because you need to learn God's Word in order to come to God, His way. As you repent of your sins and confess your faith in Christ and surrender to Him in baptism for the remission of your sins, And then at that point, you become a new creation, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. As Jesus told Nicodemus, you are born again in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. And so you have a new life, a life in Christ, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and Galatians 3 and verse 27 in Christ, baptized into Christ, a new creation, born again with a new hope and a new direction, that hope being eternal life with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in heaven for all of eternity, and the new direction, heaven itself. You're walking a new path. We want to help you get on that path and stay on it and realize that hope, your eternal life with God in heaven. Search the scriptures. At the end of the program today, 
we're going to give you the information by which you can contact us. So have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper ready and you can jot down that information and then you can contact us. You can do it by phone, you can write a letter, snail mail, you can contact us by email and ask for the free Bible study that we always offer. We offer it all the time, it's always free, we send it all across the country, we never charge anybody to study God's Word. We'll even take care of the postage. We don't want you to send us anything, we don't want you to make some kind of contribution and then we say we'll send you this free, that doesn't sound free to us. We want to help you learn God's Word and we want to do that at no charge. So just write down that information and then contact us and ask for the free Bible study. Today we're going to begin a new study here in the program. We're going to ask what I believe is a very pertinent question and one that I'm not sure a great many people have even thought of. And that is, what does Christian only mean? What does Christian only mean? Now some of you may be kind of in your minds scratching your head right now. What, what do you mean? What does Christian only mean? Well, I mean exactly that. What does it mean to be just a Christian? What does Christian only mean? When you ask most people who claim to be followers of Christ, who claim to be Christians, well, what are you? They'll start naming their denominations. They'll say, oh, I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm this over here. All kinds of denominational names is what they'll respond with when you ask them, tell me what you are. And you might even say, as a Christian, tell me what you are as a Christian. And they'll still, they'll tell you their denominational names. Well, what's wrong with the, ter the term the identity, the name, Christian. Why should there be an attachment to it? A brand of Christianity, so to speak. Now that's what denominationalism has done to Christianity. If you look up the word denominationalism in the scriptures, it means division. Divide into parts, divide into categories. Denominationalism has divided Christianity into all kinds of different churches that teach different things and in a lot of cases are very contradictory to one another in what they teach and what they stand on. And denominationalism keeps evolving and that's not what the church is supposed to do in doctrine. There are denominations who not very long ago were teaching that certain practices and lifestyles were sinful where now they are embracing those practices and lifestyles. They're saying they're okay. What changed? The scriptures didn't change. 
God's word didn't change. God didn't change. Oh, but the denominations changed in what they believe and teach and practice. Well, what about the word Christian? Let's focus upon that. That ought to be sufficient for us. Are you a Christian only? Or are you a member of a denomination? The word Christian was first used in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. There, after Barnabas had gone and found Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the Apostle Paul, he brought him to Antioch, the congregation that Barnabas was working with, Antioch of Syria. And the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26 that Christians were first called, I'm sorry, disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now the only other time that the word Christian is used in the entire rest of the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 26 and verse 28. And there the apostle Paul was basically standing trial. He had been arrested by the Roman garrison in Jerusalem and he was in a hearing between the Roman uh, between the Roman official and also King Agrippa, who was supposed to be a Jew. And so Paul was recounting how he had become a Christian, what he had come to believe, and what he was doing basically was teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ while he was presenting his own defense. And ultimately, King Agrippa said to him, in a short time, you presume to make me a Christian. Or as the King James Version puts it, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Well, the only other time that the word Christian is used in the entire rest of the New Testament is found in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16. And there, we'll back up a little bit, and catch the context a little bit more fully. There, Peter writes, beginning with verse 14, if you are, and he's writing this to Christians, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Well, you see, all of these would be sinful practices, and Christians should not be involved in these kinds of practices. And then in verse 16 he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Those are the only three times that the word Christian, or the term Christian, as an identity, it's is used in the entire New Testament. Historically, if you look at the use of that word in these very early days of the Lord's church, it could be that it was used as a term of derision by enemies of the church. In other words, it would be like calling somebody a name. Oh, you're one of those Christians or trying to insult them. You're a Christian. 
Now again, the case could be made that it was used in that kind of way and kind of coined perhaps by people who did not believe in Christ and people who were enemies of the church in those first early years of the church's existence. But now by the second century, it had become embraced by believers in Christ as an identity and title of honor. Yes, we're Christians. We are disciples of Christ. We follow our Lord, Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. Isn't it interesting how things can change in the eyes of a culture as time goes on? Well, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus prayed for unity among all who had become his followers. In other words, all who would claim the identity of being simply a Christian. In John chapter 17, beginning with verse 20, Jesus prayed to the Father, again the night of his betrayal, I do not pray for these alone. He had been praying specifically for the apostles previous to this. Now he expands the focus of the prayer. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, all who had become his followers through the teachings of the apostles, all who had become Christians, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. Now Jesus prayed not just for a loose kind of unity there or union. He didn't pray that his followers would agree to disagree agreeably, that they would all agree to get along whether they believe the same thing or not. He prayed for their absolute unity in following him. Because you see, the standard that he used was, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. God the Father and God the Son had no disagreement as to truth. Had no disagreement as to what Jesus was supposed to teach in bringing the gospel to mankind, to this world. There was no difference of opinion between them, and there still is no difference of opinion between them. Jesus prayed for absolute unity, just as he and his Father are absolutely united in belief and in purpose. Now that's how absolutely together united how much we're supposed to be of the same mind as Christians that God's word instructs us to be and that Jesus' prayer was for us to become. Just as totally united as he and the Father in heaven are totally united. 
That's incredible. It really is. Jesus prayed for Christian unity that would contribute to his faith. Now notice also, as he offers that prayer, notice a purpose behind it. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, when he says there that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, we've already talked about that. Total, absolute, complete unity between the Father and the Son. But also that they also may be one in us. So we are supposed to be as united together as Christians that we may be united together with God the Father and God the Son, that they also may be one in us. Our unity is conditional upon our being united with God the Father and God the Son. And then notice that Another purpose is, a basic purpose, is that the world may believe that you sent me. When you go into parts of the world right now that do not believe in Christ as the Savior, that do not believe in Christianity, and I've heard this a couple of different times, that uh, say people in the Muslim world couple of different times I've, I've heard of a Muslim telling a supposed Christian, we do not fear you because you cannot even agree among yourselves. Well, they recognize the division of denominationalism. They recognize that supposed Christians do not even call themselves by the same name and that they put their denominational names ahead of their real intended identity, and that being simply a Christian. But if we were united in what we believe and teach and practice as absolutely as God the Father and God the Son are united, and as Jesus pointed out in that prayer in John chapter 17, then the non-Christian world would see a powerful, powerful lesson in the unity of Christians. That would be a powerful proof of God being our creator and of Christ being the Son of God and our only Savior. The doctrine of Christ is the only basis for such unity. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul wrote, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to, in other words, in contradiction of, the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. We can't just make it up on our own. We can't just decide what sounds good to us, 
what pleases our ears, we have to follow God according to his teachings. And it's not a matter of private interpretation. Peter said that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And as Paul was about to cross the threshold of being of, of not of being executed it would seem in second timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 he charged timothy with strong words to preach the word in season and out of season to convince to rebuke because he said the time was coming when they will not endure sound doctrine but having itching ears shall gather teachers to themselves, the sense being to scratch their ears for them, to teach them things that they want to hear, to hear things that would suit their present lifestyle and not call them to repent and turn their lives around. That time has come, long since come. What does Christian only mean? Have you ever thought about that? Prayerfully and hopefully, this study together is going to stimulate your thinking along this line. Why are there so many names? Do names not matter? Would you appreciate it if your wife called herself by some other husband's name? Or if your husband referred to you by the name of a former girlfriend? Would it be okay for you to go and cash a check with somebody else's name on it? See, we, we know the answer to all of those questions. Well, why when it comes to the most important identity in our lives, do we think it doesn't matter? A name doesn't matter. A name is incidental. How about if we just go back to the scriptures and embrace the name of Christ only, Christian only, We'll continue our study next time. Be sure to write down that information and contact us and ask for that free Bible study. We hope to hear from you right away.